what within scripture helps us to frame the conversation? Are there any particular verses or ideas within scripture itself that frame this idea of the sufficiency of scripture? Yeah, actually, there's quite a bit. Um, I think that a lot of times Christians uh, kind of forget that the text itself actually speaks about the kind of authority that the scriptures are supposed to have for the people of God. And so um, I'm just I just want to read a couple of texts here and then I'm, I'll probably list a couple of others for um, our listeners to read by themselves at some point in time. But uh a good one to start with would be Joshua or Joshua 1, um, verses 7 through 8. And Joshua uh, writes, Only be strong and very courageous. Be careful to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, so that you may have success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that it, that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and when you will, and then you will have success. Um, Proverbs 30, 5 through 6 says, Every word of God is tested. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. Do not add to his words, or he will reprove you, and you will be proved a liar. That one in particular scared me when I originally did and made me scared for people who who um, do try to add to the scriptures, um, whether it be with psychology or whatever else. And then we have Psalm 119. And basically, if you want to just read one whole chapter, and Psalm 119 is the longest psalm in the book of Psalms, um, it's all about scripture, the entire chapter is about scripture. But Psalm 119 verse 142 says your righteousness is an everlasting righteousness and your law is truth. Um a couple other ones Psalm 119:89, Deuteronomy 12:32, Deuteronomy 4:1 through 2. Um those are just a couple of other examples. And I specifically chose from the Old Testament because when Paul writes about the inspiration of Scripture, about how it being God-breathed, he's referencing the Old Testament text. He's not referencing the New Testament because the New Testament hadn't been formed yet. It was still in the process of being written. Um, so he's referring to the Old Testament text. So I just wanted to be you know, really formal and go ahead and just use the Old Testament to basically deal with sufficiency. Um, it is blatantly and obviously clear within the Old Testament that for the Jewish people and for any people or group of people who are going to call themselves the people of God, who belong to God with Christians, it's we belong to God in Christ. Okay, we've been reconciled to him in Jesus. If we're going to call ourselves people of God, we have to tie ourselves to the scriptures. We don't have a choice in that. The scriptures are God's revelation of himself. And so I think scripture makes it abundantly clear that we need to be a people that latches onto that, meditates on it, comes to know it, understand it, and practice it to the best of our human ability every single day. Okay, yeah. Um, yeah, I want to piggyback off of some of the things that you said there. Um, you, re you referenced... Um, 
Psalm 119, the longest chapter in all of scripture. Uh, and I think a couple of verses that really frame this idea of the sufficiency of scripture, some of the ones that I've been going through, or the classic ones, uh, so to speak, are Psalm 119, uh, verse 1, where it says, Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord, which uh, you alluded to, you, uh, with, uh, uh, Justin, you alluded to it with uh, Joshua 1, uh, verse 7 and 8. And uh, in the Bible, God has given us instructions that equip us for every good work that he wants us to do, which is uh, from 2 Timothy 3, 16 uh, and 17. I'll actually read that in its entirety. Uh, it says this, uh, quote, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that, it, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Uh, uh, every good work, unquote. So that's uh, 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17, which really frames this idea of uh, what scripture is sufficient for. Um, we're going to look at what it does not mean, and mm -hmm. then we're going to look at what it means. Mm -hmm. Then we're going to look at what it looks like when people exit or move away from the idea of uh, the sufficiency of scripture. And then we're going to look like, we're going to look at what it looks like uh, when scripture is abuse. So we're going to look at modern culture at the end of what it looks like in our modern culture as people are moving away from uh, from uh, the sufficiency of scripture. So, so Justin, uh, what is what does this not mean? What is what is when you hear sufficiency of scripture, you know what it means. But let's start off talking about what it does not mean. Sufficiency of scripture does not mean that we only use biblical language to uh, articulate Christian thought. Let me flush that out. For just a minute, because for a second, that's going to sound really, really confusing. Um, but it's not really. And the reasoning for that is because, first of all, when you think of what language is, language is basically, if we want to think of it this way, it's a puzzle as a puzzle of concepts or a puzzle of words or signs that we recognize that establish concepts within our mind, okay, which help us create a rational framework in which to understand the universe. So when I say a word or I say a sentence, you understand that sentence and the concepts within that sentence based on how those words sit next to each other. When we look at scripture, God is utilizing that same framework, okay, to get us to understand who he is and what he would like us to do while we live here on earth. In order to understand biblical language at times, because the scriptures are written in Hebrew and Greek, they're not written in English, despite what King James Version only people want to tell you. I just we just alien, I just alienated like probably three people, Calvin, that listen to our podcast. The, the entire <laughs> the, the, and the entire South. And the entire South. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you know what? I'm just I'm just trying to take after the tradition that you and the Jacob sessions have started. Yeah, you know what? In every single off. Jacob session episode, we alienate somebody. All right. I love that. I'm Justin's our number one fan for the Jacob sessions, by the way. It's kind of He's always texting me and saying, hey, I listened to the, like three episodes and I got some thoughts. I got some, I got a bone to pick with you on this. I'm like, okay, yeah, right, yeah. It's normally yeah. when I'm busy at work. It's, it's always when I'm busy always at work. Always when he's busy at work, every <laughs> single time. And God makes it that way. So that way he can't argue with me. He just has to listen to That's what I right. It's like, okay, Justin, I gotta, go, I gotta go do this thing. I'll let you think you're right for now. I'll let you go ahead. I'll let you go ahead and rant for a little yeah. bit. Uh, I, and I love a Justin rant. I love a Justin rant. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, the sufficiency of scripture, um, I think, and there was a portion of it. Actually, you know what, Calvin? That that quote that you have, um, John Piper wrote a fantastic article on Desiring God. Um, 
his the desiring God. It's dot org, right? Yeah, yeah. And I've got Website. I've got the quote right here if you want me to read it. Yeah, just yeah, go ahead and read it because that that yeah. I think that's a good place to start with in that article to talk All about. Right. So in this article, uh, John Piper says this, quote, uh, The sufficiency of Scripture does not mean that the Scripture is all we need to live obediently. To be obedient in the sciences, we need to read science and study nature. To be obedient in economics, we need to read economics and observe the world of business. To be obedient in sports, we need to know the rules of the game. Uh, to be obedient in marriage, we need to know the personality of our spouse. To be obedient as a pilot, we need to know how to fly a plane. In other words, the Bible does not tell us all we need to know in order to be obedient stewards of this world, unquote. So that's John Piper. So uh, your thoughts on that? Uh, well, I think I think that he what he's, what he's trying to get people to understand is that Scripture helps people. It's sufficient in helping people live Christian lives to help them live lives within a particular worldview and make decisions within that worldview. It's not going to be very helpful in, in biochemistry or molecular biology or mm -hmm. uh, quantum physics or engineering or uh, calculus or thousand Ta other different taekwondo. things. Taekwondo. Taekwondo, help you with taekwondo right? It's yeah, not going to help you with Taekwondo. Um, scripture is going to help you be Christian. Okay. That's what it's going to do is it's going to assist you and teach you how to live a Christian life and how to look at the world as a Christian. That's what it's there for. And that text that you, that you, uh, quoted, um, from Timothy, so it was second Timothy, Timothy 16, yeah. 316, 17 talks about that, that the scriptures are good for reproof and correction and teaching and of sound doctrine. Um, that's in reference to what we believe as the church of who God is. Okay. And obviously that has implications on every part of our life, but that doesn't mean that it's sufficient for every part of our life. Okay. So sufficiency of scripture does not mean that all you need to do is bury your nose in a Bible and read, read, read. And you can use that in every aspect of your life because it's, that's not what it means at all. There are some Christian reformers and they, they coined this term sola scriptura. Uh, and sometimes it's referred to as prima scriptura, you know, you know, you know scripture is our supreme authority. Uh, and to, and what it really, what it really means is um, nothing judges scripture. Scripture judges everything else. And as followers of Jesus, we, we take that same stance, you know, he did, and we receive the Bible alone, the Bible alone as infallible, inerrant truth from God with full authority in our lives. And we can go round and round about inerrancy and, and uh, infallibility, and that's a whole go listen to the Go listen to the authority yeah, that's saying that is we yeah, we did touch on that. we did touch on what inerrancy is and is not. So let's go to go to that podcast. Yeah, go to, go to, to the, what's the second episode, right? <laughs> second episode. So, um, but nothing judges scripture; it stands supreme over everything else. And Justin kind of already alluded to that with the English language thing. Uh, and so uh, that's really what this whole sufficiency, well, part of the sufficiency thing means. So as right. it says in 2 Timothy, it, it equips you for every good work. It prepares you to, to live a Christian life. It's sufficient for Christian faith, and it is mm -hmm. sufficient for Christian practice. It's mm -hmm. sufficient uh, for the Christian worldview. How do I think about the world around me? Um, and uh, one of the big things about uh, 
sola scriptura or the sufficiency of scripture is we no longer need special revelation. That's a big, big part of it. Um, and something that flies in the face of a lot of, um, and, and my understanding may be incorrect, but my experience of it uh, tells me that this is, that this is correct. Um, coming out of a Pentecostal background growing up, there often seem to be these revelations from God. God gave me a revelation. He's given me a new revelation for, for a new people in a new time. And it was never, they never said, you know, this is on par with scripture. But they use this language of revelation, this special revelation directly from God. Uh, and so uh, in practice, it ended up being, uh, while no one said, hey, this is on, on par with the Bible, in practice, it was. And so uh, what the sufficiency of Scripture says and means is we no longer need special revelation. The special revelation of Scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, 66 books, and oh so fresh, all talking about God's righteousness. It's an old school jam. I'm not going to go into a whole rap there. Uh, but um, that is all we need. That is all we need uh, to be equipped for good work, to, you know, it's all we need for Christian faith and practice, it's all we need for the Christian worldview. We no longer need special revelation. Justin, you're, you want to expound on that at all? With Pentecostals, I want to be careful because obviously you're going to have different – you're going to have Pentecostals that are probably a little bit more conservative. Right, right. And, I, and I don't want to out, I don't like out all Pentecostals. Right. Saying, you know, throw and them then all you're going to have like – then you're going to have like Benny Hinn Pentecostals who are like crazy, like – you belong in a room with padded walls and a jacket. Crazy. Um, because it's antithetical to scripture. It's antithetical to everything church history has ever taught us. It's just bad. It's just not even God at that point. It's Satan. So that's just bad stuff. So we have like this too, because I've worked with a couple of Assemblies of God churches that are fantastic. And I love those people. And I love those churches. And they don't, you know, they're not crazy. They're Christian. Mm-hmm. Um but at the same time, then you've got like what you talked about where it's like, oh, I have a new revelation. And it's kind of like, well, no, no, you don't. I mean, you have a thought in your head, but uh, it's not on par with Scripture. It's still subservient to it. And if what you, say, what you say doesn't line up with Scripture, then what you say goes out the window there, dude. Sorry. That's just kind of the way it works. Um, hmm. So I'm not I, – I, and I'm – and. I know that a lot of people are like, man, you say that so bluntly, and it's just kind of like, yeah, that's because so does Jesus and Paul, and <laughs> so does God. In in you know, I've read a couple of you know Solomon. I mean, it says in it says in that Solomon thirty five through six, do not add to his words, or he, God himself, will reprove you. You mean and Proverbs? You, Proverbs Solomon wrote. Yeah, Proverbs thirty five through six. I'm sorry. Um, he will reprove you and you will be proved a liar. Like that is not good. God's not pulling punches when it right. comes it, to, uh, it, so I'm not going to. Yeah. It, it, <laughs> um, I think it's, you know, people often say, well, Jesus, you know, what does Jesus say on this? Okay. Well, so let's look at what Jesus says. He's pretty emphatic about this as well. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 16, uh, verses 1931, Jesus tells this story, uh, about a man who dies in unbelief and he's, he's now suffering torment. And so we'll have a whole other episode on the, on the topic of hell, whether it's eternal and all that kind of stuff. Um, but so uh, Jesus, Jesus. <laughs> okay, so, so Jesus has uh, kind of explains to this man, um, and this man's in anguish, and um, 
so he explains how this man in anguish had this conversation with Abraham across a chasm. And, and they're separated uh, from those who died in faith and those who died in unbelief uh, in the days uh, to the prior of Jesus opening up heaven. And so uh, Jesus uh, tells his story uh, in, in uh, verses 29 through 31. He reports, Abraham said, they have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. So Jesus here is emphatically clear that the scriptures alone are sufficient for all that is needed to know God and enjoy his salvation. And so really, that's another thing about what uh, the sufficiency of scripture uh, means. The Bible teaches a complete Christian worldview. So I've already said that. And so that in, what that includes, what that means is uh, it includes what we need to know about God. It includes what we need to know about how to come into relationship with, uh, relationship with him. It uh, includes what we need to know about who Jesus is and what he did for our salvation. And it includes what will happen at the end of history. Scripture is sufficient for all of these things. And a lot of people want, oh, I want to go outside. I want to get all this extra biblical stuff. And, um, and they want to put it on, on par with Scripture. And Scripture is very emphatic about itself. I don't need your help. I don't need your help. No, and it's very – I and got it's, this. And it's sufficient in telling us who we are. Yes. Boy, it's is it sufficient in telling us who telling we are. Us. And what's funny is that I, I was listening – what's funny about this? I was listening to um, – speech given by rabbi zacharias and he was talking about how um so many people today that there's like there's more empirical evidence as to the wickedness to the human heart and yet there's not one statement within academia that would be fought more vigorously with intelligence than that humans are wicked and evil in every way but scripture says abundantly clear that the, every intention of the human heart is full of deception or wickedness or evil. And we, there's, there's nothing within us that's, <laughs> that's very good. I mean, we've kind of been warped to this point to where we're, we're almost not human. Yeah, so I think that's, that's kind of a good segue into something I want to talk about here uh, at the end, or moving towards the end is, and we told you earlier, uh, you know, listening audience, you know, all, all five of you, um, <laughs> we're under no illusions that there are more than five people listening. If there are more than five, please follow us on Twitter. And we are, um, and we are, of course, counting um, ourselves. So. And our parents. And our parents. Yeah, so that would that would actually count for all five of us. I, I think. think. I think, a, I, well, I think <laughs> no, I think there's a dude at your church, right, Justin, who said, "Yeah, yeah I like this." Yes. And then I think there's yes. your mom and dad, and then there's my, my my mom and dad. So I'm not including yes. you and me. Not even my wife listens to this. Oh well, that's that's her loss. I know. I know. She's 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 for, she's for her gain probably. <laughs> <laughs> she's got enough of us in her and life. And we're editing that out. Yeah, well, no, she's got enough of us. She hears enough from us. Um, but either way, uh, so. I want to look at what it looks like when you exit from sola scriptura, when it, when you exit from this idea, the, the doctrine of the sufficiency of scripture. And recently um, a video has, has hit the internet um, with at least within Christian circles, there is this conference called the nines and there are these little vignette videos where these pastors, many pastors from different denominational backgrounds are asked to comment on uh on different things from a biblical worldview. And for the most part, it's pretty interesting stuff. It's pretty, you know, a lot of it's, you know, dead on. 
And of course, there are going to be some little idiosyncrasies, like, okay, this person's from this denomination, and we don't necessarily agree on that little thing, but I don't think they're a heretic, and I don't think they're going to hell, right? Um, and, you know, I can I can read scripture and see how they got there. I just, you know, have gone a different direction, and this is why I'm in this particular denomination. But there was this video that was put out by um, Pastor Nadia Bowles-Weber, um, and she was asked to comment, uh, I believe the whole conference this time is on the clash of cultures, because right now there's so much going on in the culture and the church is kind of reeling in, in many ways and responding to so much going on in the culture. And uh, so she was asked to comment on uh, homosexuality. And uh, I don't want this podcast to be about homosexuality, so we're, gonna, we're only gonna comment about this briefly, but I want to, instead of trying to communicate what was in this video, um, well, I, I'll communicate a little bit here. So she was she was invited to to speak uh, and do this little video uh, for the nines uh, and to speak on homosexuality. And rather than uh, speak on it directly herself, she invited uh, people who identify as uh, gay, you know, LGBTQ, uh, you know, lesbian, gay, uh, bisexual, transgender, uh, and and so on, and, and queer uh, to uh, to comment themselves. And every person in the video. Uh, claims to be a Christian, and so um, I want to play the video. We're gonna we're gonna play the uh, the sound of the video uh, for you here. Hi, I'm Nadia Boltzweber. I'm the founding pastor of House for All Sinners and Saints in Denver, Colorado, and it's an honor to be asked to be part of the Nines this year. I thought I'd take on what's being called the issue of homosexuality and what my church's response is to it. And uh, to do that, I just decided I would concede my time to several members of my congregation so that I might introduce you to something that we like to call the body of Christ. My name is James. I go to church because it's the one place in my life where I know that I'm going to experience the gospel every week. It's the one place where I, I receive grace and forgiveness I'm at the altar and in the community. I'm, I'm queer and I am part of the church. My name's Badger. I am a Christian because God didn't give me a choice in the matter and because he loves me when I'm unlovable. I also take issue with being referred to as an issue and I am the church. My name is Amy Hansen. I am a hospital chaplain. I go to church because I need to know that there is a power bigger um, than me in this world. I need to be fed through the Eucharist and I need to be in community with the body of Christ. I am queer. I am part of the church and I am not an issue. My name is Brad Allen and I have a Master of Divinity. I was a pastor for a long time. I'm still a Christian because I'm so drawn to the character of Christ and his teachings and actions of nonviolence. I happen to be gay and I am the church. My name is Bethany and I go to church to um, get a sense of peace and to take the Eucharist and to be in community and I believe in God because it's the only way that I could get through all of the things that the church put me through. I also happen to be queer and I am not a cultural phenomenon. Well I'm Jim and I am the church regardless of my sexuality and um, I still go because I believe in God and I believe that God has never stopped believing in me and I believe that everyone is welcome um, regardless of any of these labels. And um, yeah, that's, I, I am the church. 
My name is Laurel. I still come to church because the person I was when I was baptized was trans and queer and that will never change. To imply that I need to change implies that I know better than God what God has planned in my life. I'm trans and queer and I am the church. Hi, I'm Kathleen. I come to church every week because it's a place that I know I can come where I don't have to do anything that makes me worthy or deserving of being there. And it's also a place where I know I can be fed the Eucharist every week. I am what modern society calls a gay. And I am the church. Even if I make you uncomfortable, you're still welcome in the church. A reading from the letter of Paul to the Ephesians. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he is our peace. In his flesh, he has made both groups into one and has broken down the dividing wall that is the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, thus putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and proclaimed peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are citizens with the saints and also members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the cornerstone. Okay, so uh, you just you just heard the the video there, and uh, I want to pull out uh, a quote that was in the video. A couple things that happened in uh, happened in the video. Uh, first, uh, one of the people commented uh, and said this uh, quote: "The person I was when I was baptized was trans and queer, and that will never change." To imply that I have to change is to imply that I know better than God what God has planned in my life. I'm trans and queer, and I am the church. And so, uh, Justin, first, first, your I, I want your thoughts on uh, on some of what was said in the video. I obviously have my thoughts, and, I, and I'm going to comment on some stuff, and I'm going to go to scripture and comment on on the scripture that Nadia Bowles Weber used at the end. Uh, but uh, what are your thoughts on on that quote in particular? You know, all of us are born with some kind of, we've all got some kind of issue that we deal with. We've all got a thing that, a, a sin, something that we're going to struggle with, right? We all have a predisposition to a sinful, to a sinful state in some way. So um, for me, that predisposition was pride. Okay. For, for, for a lot of reasons. Um, does that mean that I can say, well, I was baptized as a proud and arrogant person and that I'm going to stay a proud and arrogant person because, you know, I don't know better than God. God made me this way. And that's essentially what that person is saying. I mean, I'm just applying, you know, my sin to that statement. And of course me saying it, it sounds absolutely ridiculous, but that's because the argument in and of itself is ridiculous. God states with it within his inspired word all over the place that homosexuality is sinful that it's an abomination, that God is not okay with it. And yet these individuals claim 
to being born with it. And I'm, I'm fine. Let's go ahead and accept that. I mean, I, I don't think that there's any scientific proof to, to back that, but let's go ahead and say that we accept that. Let's say that it's been proven and let's say that it's, been, that it's happened. Fine. That's still not an excuse. So um, there's a, a guy uh, by the name of Michael Horton, and he wrote a, uh, an exhaustive, uh, an exhaustive, um, well, I guess depends on who you ask uh, what exhaustive means. It's a pretty big book. Uh, but it's a, a systematic theology, but it's no, it's nowhere near as large as like the Calvin's Institutes of Religion or anything like that. Um, Karl Barth's Karl Barth's. Dogmatics. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I had to mention Karl Barth for you, but you know, you, 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 you. um, but, um, in his, uh, in, uh, his, uh, systematic theology, Michael Horton says this, uh, it is possible, uh, quote, it is possible to hold a high view of biblical authority and sufficiency in theory while yielding a magisterial or authoritative role in practice to sociology, politics, marketing, psychology, and other cultural authorities. Within evangelical circles, the decline of expository preaching in favor of topical speeches laced with personal anecdotes, insights, and examples drawn from cultural authorities communicates to God's people where we think the power and relevance of our speech really lies. So he's making more of a case for, um, for expository preaching. We can have a whole conversation about that, but I want to focus more on the front part, the front end of that, uh, where he says, hey, look, there are lots of people out there who hold to a high view of biblical authority and sufficiency. Scripture is all we need uh, for how we should live our life uh, in theory, but uh, they yield a more authoritative role to kind of the powers of the shifting powers of culture. Okay, so what does sociology say? What does politics say? You know, what's popular right now? Marketing, uh, what looks good, what's made to look good? Uh, psychology, what's pop psychology saying? Um, to us and in other cultural authorities. And so uh, I think that's what happens when you exit or move away from this idea of the sufficiency of Scripture. This is what you end up with. And uh, Nadia Bowles-Weber reads from Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 13 through, uh, uh, through 22. Um, um, did she say verse 20? Yes, uh, uh, verse 13 through 22, and I'll read that here. She says, um, so there's a lot of quotes here, but I, I think I need to build the case here. Is that okay with you, Justin, for me to build the case? Yes, I think it needs to be done. Okay, all right. So we're going to go ahead and build this case. Um, uh, chapter uh, 2, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 13 uh, through 22. Uh, so that's what she read. And I was like, okay, that's good scripture. That is good scripture, Nadia. I completely agree with you on the scriptures that that scripture is true yeah not gonna through. get any disagreement from us on that not gonna get any disagreement um however nadia uh you didn't read what came before that okay and here's the thing at verse 11 uh it says it, it uses the word therefore you didn't start at verse 11 but therefore actually starts this section verses 11 uh through um uh, through uh, 22. You stopped at verse 20, that's fine. Uh, but the beginning of the section says, therefore. And I grew up in a church where the pastor said, anytime you see the word therefore, you need to go back and see what it's there for. So we're going to go back and see what it's there for. Uh, chapter 2, starting at verse 1, um, is interesting. Uh, and Nadia, I just got to gotta correct you um, here. You're wrong. I'm sorry, you may not even be listening to this, but uh, if you listen to the video, here is why Nadia is wrong. In that very same chapter, it starts off by saying this, chapter, uh, chapter 2, verse 1, And you were dead 
and the trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Okay, so here, uh, Scripture is assuming and stating very clearly that there are trespasses and there are sins. These things exist, okay? Um, if you read just verses, uh, you know, verses... 12 through 20, you might not assume that sin exists. You might think that everything's okay because we're all we're all one with Jesus. Um, but here in the same chapter, sin and trespasses are assumed to exist, right? Uh, so it says, uh, and you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked following the course of this world. So there's this course of the world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. So uh, there's this prince of the power of the air, that's Satan, uh, the sons of disobedience, so disobedience exists as well. Uh, so it says, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So, Nadia, you started off by Boom. saying, hey, we're, we're all together in Christ. But the beginning of that chapter that you quoted from assumes that sin exists, assumes that, dis assumes that disobedience exists, assumes that we walked in disobedience at one point, Past and then he defines what those past tense sins were. The passions of our flesh, often sexual passions. Passion often refers here in the New Testament, in the original Greek, to sexual sin. And we're going we're gonna to address that here in a minute if you want to say, oh, it's not really talking about that here. It could be talking about any number of things. Okay, fine. Um, but normally it does. But passions of our flesh carrying out the desires of the body. And the mind, it is referring to sex here, just so you're aware. So carrying out the desires of the body, uh, we were by nature children of wrath, wrath, like the rest of mankind, but God is rich in mercy. Okay, so that's when you get into the, the second half. Oh, God is rich in mercy. We're all made alive in Christ. Right there with you on that, okay? But you need to acknowledge for the LGBTQ community, if you're going to cede your pulpit to them, you need to explain to them the full counsel of the gospel. And the full counsel expresses explicitly that this is sin. You are living in sin, living in, not struggling with. And there's a difference. And we can talk about that in another podcast, the difference between living and struggling. So living in sin and claiming to be a follower of Jesus. That's an issue. And I want to bring up one other verse to, to kind of bring this home. First uh, Timothy chapter, uh, chapter one, verses eight through 11. Uh, Paul says this, okay, so you're reading uh, Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I am reading Paul's letter to Timothy. Same author. Okay, I'm not going to be the leader of the, of the Ephesian church. 
True story. Uh, so he says this in uh, verse, uh, verse 8 of chapter 1 of First uh, Timothy. Uh, now we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just, but for the lawless and disobedient. So again, here are sinful people, disobedient people. It's being assumed that disobedient people exist. Okay, so what are those people like? All right, so we're going to continue. For the ungodly and sinners. So, well, they're ungodly people. They're people who are not like God. They're people who are not doing what God says. They're people who sin, who grieve God for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral. And that covers heterosexual sin as well. Men who practice homosexuality. All right, there it is, right there. Uh, moving on from there, enslavers. Anybody who has ever said, oh, the Bible's okay with slavery, uh, no. Nope. It's not. That's why, that's why God is constantly freeing people. Um, so enslavers, liars, perjurers, and whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Okay, so it, it assumes here again, Paul assumes that there is such a thing as sound doctrine. Nadia, what you were presenting to the church is unsound doctrine. Okay, whatever is contrary to sound doctrine is unsound doctrine. So what you are giving is contrary to sound doctrine that makes it unsound doctrine okay? yes in accordance oh. with the gospel of the glory of the blessed god with whom uh, with which i have been entrusted okay so this is the same paul this is the same paul reading to you who, who's writing to timothy the same person who wrote to the ephesian church and you left out a huge chunk that calls into question that call not even just calls into question calls to the mat calls you out for what you've done Okay, and so you have people like Nadia Bowles-Weber, if you, if you guys, if you're listening, you have people like Nadia Bowles-Weber, who I can assume in, in many other arenas is a very nice person, but is dead wrong on this. Uh, and people like Matthew Vines, who wrote God and the Gay Christian, who at the very beginning of his book says, I hold to a high view of scripture, an authoritative view of scripture. And you can go back to uh, what Michael Horton has said here is, hey, there are people who hold to a high view of biblical authority and sufficiency of scripture in theory. You're holding to it in theory. And that is what happens when people exit from the sufficiency of scripture, because the sufficiency, sufficiency of scripture says, this is how we live our lives. It gives us all we need to live our lives. But you now have uh, politics, and uh, cultural pressures pushing in that are saying and normalizing, hey, this is this is okay. And not just homosexuality, many, many different things that the Bible is against. Hey, this is okay to live this way. Get everything you want now. Greed is good. Homosexuality is good. Abortion is good. Lying to your spouse is good. Having sex with people not your spouse is okay. It says all these things are good. Because that's what sociology is saying now. That's what politics is saying now. That's what marketing is saying now. That's what psychology is saying now. And that's what people are giving and granting true authority uh, in their lives. And so this is where you go when you exit from the sufficiency of Scripture, from this idea, this belief, this doctrine that Scripture gives us all that we need to live a Christian life, to live a holy life, to follow after Jesus, to walk as Jesus walked. Well, the same gentleman who wrote the two verses that you were dealing with, the two areas of scripture, he also wrote Galatians 1 9. 
And it says, as we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is some really harsh words from the Apostle Paul in regard to people who are teaching falsely, people who are not teaching proper doctrine. I also think it's important to look at the epistle that Martin Luther refers to as an epistle of straw. One of the very few times that I take issue with Martin Luther is in uh, his reference of the epistle of James. Yeah, the book of James. I was like, yeah, it's got to be James. Epistle of straw. Um <laughs> Faith, uh, so let me, I'm just going to start at verse 18 in chapter 2 of James. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one. You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works? is useless. And then he gives a couple examples from Abraham offering his son Isaac on the altar in obedience to God. He also references his belief in God for what God was promising him and it being counted to him as righteousness. He also talks about the prostitute Rahab being justified by works when she received the messages, the messengers and sent them out by another way. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, and we're taking up a 26. For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Now, hear what I'm saying and hear what I'm not saying. I am not saying that your works are going to save you. No, no. No, only faith can do that. Only faith in Christ can do that. But faith looks like something. So that person that you were that you, that you quoted earlier, Calvin, when they state that they were baptized transgender and queer, and they'll always be transgender and queer, okay, fine, that might be true, but that means that you don't have faith in Jesus Christ. It means that you're not part of the God's church. Faith looks like something. If yeah, you profess yeah, faith yeah, in Jesus you, Christ, if you start off saying, "I'm not going to change," nope, you haven't repented at all. You haven't laid your life down. You haven't given up your desires and your wants and, to the Lord the Jesus. That, you haven't done any of that. Teaches. If you believe in the sufficiency of Scripture, that means you believe what Scripture says, too. You have to believe what Scripture says in order to even believe in the sufficiency of Scripture. And one of the things that Scripture teaches is that it changes you. And if we believe, if we believe that homosexuality uh, is wrong, as the Scriptures teach, uh, then uh, if the you scriptures come are and, sufficient, right? And, and scriptures are sufficient, and you come believing that you know you're you're gay or lesbian or, or queer or transgender or or whatever have you. And I don't want to be insensitive uh, because I know a lot of uh, people who are gay and lesbian and transgender and queer and, and these kinds of things. Uh, and I'm very good friends with them. Although that sounds like, oh, you know, I, I have black friends. Um, but I, I, wanna, I don't want to make it seem like people are horrible human beings. No. Uh, but the fact of the matter is, if Scripture says that something is sin, uh, sin, and you come to Christ, and Scripture says Christ changes that which is sinful in you, yep. um, and the first thing you say is, I will not change, that's an issue. That's a that's major a issue. Indication. That's a pretty good indication. 
that's a pretty good indicator that you're not a disciple. That's a pretty good indicator that you're not a follower of Jesus. This whole receive Jesus stuff in your heart, that's not actually in the Bible. Look it up. Now, here, that's, here's the other That's not there. The Jesus says, follow me. Be my disciple. It means live like him. It means give yourself up for him. It means follow him to your last dying breath. That's what it means. It doesn't mean receive him into your heart and then you get to live whatever life you get to want to live. And I, I want to be – Kevin, we need to be careful because I think you and I by nature are sarcastic. And that's what I was about to say. I was about to say, Justin <laughs> we are, and I can be we very – We are by nature sarcastic. We can, and, and we can also – In this whole on, little bit right now, we probably sound like massive, massive self-righteous jerks. But Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Here's I, the we thing. Can be very, we can be very sharp. We can be very cutting. And so, yeah, I, I'm with you, Justin. I, we need to be careful because this – is, This is where I want to make our, my dis, our disclaimer, okay? A lot of what Calvin and I have just done is read scripture. And the scripture in my mind was significantly more cutting than we were. The scriptures themselves reel against the thought process and the worldview that's being perpetuated by this video. It itself reels in disgust from the false teaching that's there. Although, although I we do, don't I, really I, have to do a whole lot to I help. I gotta say, that. in in defense of uh, in defense of sarcasm, um, <laughs> Paul, Paul, in writing to the Corinthian church, there's a dude who's shacking up with his own mom, right? And they write to Paul saying, "What should we do? What should we do? We don't know what to do with the situation." And he writes to them, he's like, is there not one wise person among you? Really? <laughs> really have to write me? Do you know how long it takes a letter to get to me and then back to you? How long has this been going on now? How much longer has this been going on? Uh, right. I mean, we don't have the U.S. Postal Service, people. We don't have FedEx. There's no email yet. <laughs> so you've been letting this go on the whole time while you're waiting for, uh, while you're waiting for my words. Um, is there not someone wise enough among you to make... This decision expel the immoral brother, right? So, so there's some. I like I, I, as I as I read and study scripture on my own. Uh, I love I love Paul's writings because there's always this kind of little biting sarcasm and wit. Well, I mean, even um, James, even James, when oh, yeah. he says, "You you believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe that, and at least <laughs> they shudder." Like it's like you believe God is one, and you just say it, and then you act like He's not watching you in your sin. The demons recognize the same thing you recognize, and their faith is better than yours in the sense that it scares them to death. Right. And so, but despite despite sarcasm, despite cutting, and um, and Justin, you were right on. The scriptures are much more cutting than we are, and, and, no. and it cuts to the yeah. quick, right? It, it divides the you know, joint to from the quick, the man. Um, but uh, what I what we also don't want to do is deny that. Uh, scripture can be abused. And a lot of people will say, oh, you know, Scripture's not enough. They'll, they'll go beyond Scripture because they will see that Scripture is abused. Again, they will believe in the authority and uh, the sufficiency of Scripture in theory, but the reason sometimes people go beyond Scripture to uh, pop psychology, to sociology, to, you know, you know whatever's going on in the culture and, and things like that is because they see abuses. They see people who uh, rightly preach that, you know, this or that thing is sin, you know, homosexuality is sin. Uh, but then they will also see uh, people be mistreated by Christians because of that. Mm -hmm. uh, they will see, hey, you know what? Drunkenness is sin. Uh, so the guy who comes to church 
and he struggles with alcoholism and he smells and reeks of it uh, being sat at the back of the church or not even allowed uh, in the front door. There was another church. I just saw a story today about a 96 year old woman who was uh, no longer allowed to worship at a church because uh, she had been, uh, she had not tithed in 10 months. She was a shut in. <laughs> she had, she was also not able to come to church because she is a shut in and the church released her uh, from membership because uh, she had not tied. Again, abuses. And so because people see these kinds of abuses or say, you know, a lot of Christians are against abortion. I am against abortion. Um, however, people who have abortions are often terrorized by Christians. Uh, yes, have they sinned? Absolutely. But that is a sin that ruins a person. Yeah, that's okay? not. And so for a Christian to come out and then continue to ruin them, mm -hmm. that's not our job. And so people see those abuses and they're like, look, all right, uh, scripture is sufficient in theory. All right, okay. You know, I'm going to read scripture. That's okay. Uh, but I need some more. I need something else somewhere else. And um, that's what Justin was alluding to at the very beginning of this podcast, um, where you don't add to. You don't add to it. Because the sufficiency of Scripture says you don't add to Scripture. We have all that we need to live this Christian life. But uh, we understand when people go beyond. We understand how people get to this particular sin. Right. Let's just put it that way. It doesn't it's make not, it not sin. Right. And it's not to say that even Kelvin and I and, and instances in our own lives haven't gotten to that, haven't done that ourselves. Absolutely. Because we, ha we Absolutely. definitely I'm preaching have. To, as, as much as I'm preaching here, I'm preaching to myself. Yeah. So my sin's not like are. homosexuality or abortion or anything like that. Um uh, not that those are like bigger ones or anything like that. I have no, my own. Just like more, said, they're just pride. More culturally visible. Yeah, my, Justin says pride. Mine has been pornography. Okay. Uh, so I'm just being very transparent. I've been transparent in the Jacob sessions about that as well. Um, so that's my that's my my sin. And also pride. Pride is also another thing. Uh, you know, humility is not my strong suit. Not by a long shot. No, nope. um, but I can't sit here and make excuses for that. I can't say mm -mm. God's okay with it. I can't pull out all the scriptures that say to be humble and and say, you know what? I was not humble when I came to Christ. When I was baptized, I was uh, prideful, and uh, that's never going to change. Right. That's never going to change. Like Justin said earlier, that would sound ridiculous because at its core, the argument it is, is ridiculous. ridiculous. It ridiculous. is a ridiculous argument. It is, it, is, it is so logically unsound, it's not even funny.